Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, I'd give a rat's ass about Twitter. <laughs> What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes podcast presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Monday edition of the show, welcoming Kyle back from his weekend in Boston. And Kyle, you brought your football fortune to Titletown. You had the Patriots getting demolished by the Titans. Clemson put uh, put the route on Boston College, and I can't help but blame you for all of it. And I got to be honest, I'm not mad at all. You hate to see it, but I'm not mad at all. Yeah, I had really mixed emotions from this trip specifically because, like, I've spent my entire life loathing Boston fans because of how good they have it, right? Like, mm-hmm. Boston fans in general, your list of, of worries and problems in the sports world is so minuscule compared to everybody else. And then I get to Boston. Like, I've gone to BC games before, but I've never stayed in downtown Boston. I stay right there in the financial district this weekend. And I'll be damned if it wasn't one of the nicest cities I've ever been to. So I'm sitting here and I'm saying, shoot, I hate these fans, but this is a really great place to be. So now I've placed myself in this moral conflict where I want to hate Boston, but Boston, the city itself, was just wonderful. Would highly recommend if anybody has not gone to Boston. The speed's very mellow. I was expecting a little bit more New York City. No, this this was very, very casual as far as the speed. And I don't know if it was the holiday weekend with Veterans Day or what, but I had a wonderful time. I'm glad you had a good time. I'm also glad to see the teams lose, Kyle. They've had a lifetime of happiness in the last 10 years uh, with their sports, and um, I'm not to, uh, I'm not kissing anyone's rings. You're so. welcome. You're welcome. But, uh, yeah, yeah, thanks for bringing that that fortune over there. Um, what else, man? Want to dive into this stuff? We got a loaded show. We got some fun topics to get into. Yeah, you and I have – what four at least four talking points that we really want to dig into today and uh i would like to start the conversation with the clemson boston college game because that's where i was it's what i saw i was there it was cold and i thought there were a lot of good takeaways from this game joe for my top 25 poll that i put in i didn't drop bc at all bc lost their starting quarterback early in this game And I thought this game really accentuated some of the strengths that Clemson brings to the table. The fact that they can beat you on the ground or in the air. The fact that defensively they are so fast and so physical up front that they can really beat you up. The the big winner from me in this game was Christian Wilkins. I thought Christian Wilkins played probably his best game of the season thus far as far as his area of influence along the line of scrimmage and playing sideline to sideline and the penetration skills, and it was a a great test against a physical front in Boston College, a team that likes to pound the rock and challenge you. And Clemson defensively shut that running game down. So if you're looking for resume games, it's one of my big trends this year is to refer to resume games, games that really show the best of what a player can do. 
and you want to look for one on Christian Wilkins, you could do a whole lot worse than flipping over to this Boston College game and, and watching him specifically throughout this contest. Yeah, great movement skills from him, Kyle. I think this was a, a resume game for Zach Allen as well for Boston College. Thought yeah. He played a really yeah. good football game, and you know, I know that uh, there's plenty of down. You know, you can be down on Boston College's performance, but Zach Allen, I think you saw the best of him. Guy that can play all over the line of scrimmage uh, and line up in a bunch of different spots and be effective and really control the line of scrimmage with his power. His hand technique is really good. Uh, he's a guy that is going to play with ridiculous energy and motor, and you saw that he makes plays based on effort. And that's really important because I don't think he's a great athlete, and I don't think he's really flexible. So when you really want to challenge him from wide rushing angles, he's not going to be able to really corner and turn. Uh, and so he really relies on his hands to soften angles and, and move bodies out of the way, and he he does a good job of that. And you saw the energy he can play with uh, on, on Saturday against Boston, or excuse me, against Clemson. I think one of my biggest takeaways from this game, though, overall was Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback. And the thing about him was I thought Boston College had a good plan defensively to kind of get them into third down situations and then give him some exotic looks where they were dropping players. They were blitzing secondary players. And Trevor Lawrence is a guy right now at this point in his career where he's just trusting his arm and he's just he's just throwing it where he's supposed to throw it. And there's not a lot of uh, accounting for the coverage and where it's going to be soft. And there were some moments there where you just he got away with some stuff. And it makes me nervous because when I watch Clemson, I'm, I'm thinking about how they're going to stack up with Bama because I just think it's inevitable that we're going to get those two in the top two. And so for, for Trevor Lawrence and thinking about what Alabama can do, and I don't think Clemson offensive line is very good. And you've got a, an elite defensive line in Alabama. And, and so I get a little bit nervous when I when I project him. He's got a few more games here to to kind of find his way and get that those game reps and that experience. But you know, Lawrence is going to have to prove to be more than just a, a really exciting physical talent if they're going to beat, you know, Alabama in January. So, so much of what Trevor Lawrence does right now, Joe, you're right, is pretty straightforward. But that arm talent in itself and that ability as a passer puts so much more on the table than what Kelly Bryant was really able to do, specifically last year and, and the beginning pieces of this year, that I, I do think it brings – a different dynamic. I had a chance to watch some of this game on Saturday from back in the end zone and watching the release point of the throw as it relates to the positioning of the receivers on their route stems. He can throw with anticipation really well. Is he asked to throw with anticipation a lot? No, not particularly. He's, he's often getting the ball out of his hands quickly. So how he's able to, amplify those reps in which he needs to throw to a spot or needs to throw away from a defender and, and embrace the, the back shoulder throw and one-on-one coverage. Those types of reps are where we are going to measure the growth of Trevor Lawrence as a passer between now, the national championship game or the college football playoff, however far they get, and then 2019 and 2020. Yeah, and um, exciting to think about where he can go and where this offense can go uh, under Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Kyle, one thing about this game is, uh, is, is I predicted the spread. I predicted that Clemson was going to cover that 19 and a half point spread. And I know they did it barely, but they covered it. And here's the thing, guys, if you think, you know, who's going to win and who's going to cover the spread, you've got to check out my bookie. Remember who you're betting on is just as important as where you're betting. And that's why I'm always going to tell you to bet with my bookie. Trust me. They are your best bet this season. 
They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. You can lay down some cash and win big today. I'd only recommend a service to our listeners that's been good to me, and that's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. You can join now, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use our promo code LOCKEDON25 to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON25 when creating your account to claim that bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. Check out MyBookie today. We'll be right back after this to get into some more weekend recap. All right, Kyle, let's uh, let's shift gears here from the uh, the Clemson game here and uh, maybe talk about another ACC item here. Daniel Jones, quarterback, QB1. Kyle, is this the first yeah, this, quarterback? This, <laughs> <laughs> this guy had a hell of a game, didn't he? Oh, my God. He was uh, against uh, now North Carolina, which is barely a college caliber defense. Uh, he went out and he passed for a school record. Or excuse me, he tallied his school record in, in total yards. Uh, he had uh, 361 passing yards, three touchdowns, 186 rushing yards for a total of 547 total yards and four touchdowns. I mean, he was uh, just uh, majorly productive. He he probably could have had more yards through the air. He had some balls bounce off his receiver's uh, face mask. And so for this quarterback class, man, you look at it overall, and we've been talking about Herbert and Haskins. And the more we talk about Herbert and Haskins, the more we talk about them staying in school. And so now we've got Jones, who's a redshirt junior here from Duke, who the NFL loves, and I mean loves his intangibles and that David Cutcliffe uh, pedigree that he has. And he's that guy, right? Like that, that is just every week kind of sneaking up, sneaking up more and more in this quarterback conversation and this buzz. And I'm not necessarily referring to our personal evaluations of him because I don't think either you or I are pounding the table for him in the first round, but you know, from, from a forecasting perspective and from what we're hearing and from what he's doing, it's time to really talk about Daniel Jones as a first round quarterback. Yeah. I have some conflicts with Daniel Jones and and you've already kind of drawn that line and said, this isn't necessarily our personal evaluations, but I had, I didn't get a chance to watch this North Carolina game. Joe, I guess my first question is if the bills played North Carolina, what would the spread be? (laughs) 70. (laughs) (laughs) It's all I'm going to touch on, on the subject. I've I've lost a lot of friends already to this, this poor conversation. Um, when I watch Daniel Jones, I th- I think his ability to push the ball and, and throw bucket throws stands out immediately. It's one of his better traits. Mm-hmm. He's, for a big guy, he moves really, really well. And I think that's a trait you must have in today's NFL, right? Like, especially even more so than like 10 years ago. But if you can't extend from the pocket, then you are setting yourself up for failure. I watch guys in the NFL this weekend, yesterday. I'm watching Russell Wilson in the pocket. I'm watching Carson Wentz in the pocket. I'm watching Baker Mayfield in the pocket. And then I watch Tom Brady against the Blitz, right? Tom Brady, Trent Brown was out for this game, and 
and Brady had an uncharacteristically bad game, but that's where you can amplify and really illustrate some of the limitations that a guy like Tom Brady has, where if you're able to get in the face of those receivers, Gronkowski's out, and you're, you prevent them from really working the three-step passing game and you can blitz them, you're going to kill Brady because he can't get off his spot. He can't make that first arriving defender miss with any consistency anymore now that he's in his 40s. And you have to have that to play consistently at a high level and to defeat the blitz, depending on the matchups that your personnel is going to have with other teams. So those are the two appealing factors for me when I look at Daniel Jones outside of the intangibles, which I can't speak to because I have not spoken to Daniel Jones yet. Six five two thirty. Um, he's really good runner, and he's like a Wentz athlete, right? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, I mean, I'm not sure he's Wentz under pressure and Wentz, oh, you know, no, no, working no, no, his no. progressions. Yeah. I mean, nothing, yeah. nothing like that. But I, I mean, can he be Alex Smith or Andy Dalton in the NFL? Yeah, I don't think he's got a super high ceiling though, and that's what's kind of confusing. Uh, for me, when I look at him, but man, you look at the the landscape of quarterbacks that have been drafted in the first round: EJ Manuel, Christian Ponder, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert. Like, don't tell me Daniel Jones can't be a first round pick. Plus, he's got those intangibles, right? So, look, someone's going to do it, and we'll see. You know, he's he is an underclassman from Duke, and so we not always, you know, that's something you think about, right? Like, it's not normal for underclassmen quarterbacks from Duke to declare, but in this quarterback class, when he's you know, has this type of buzz, you know, we've got, to, we've got to get very serious about Daniel Jones and he's, he's playing really well to close out the season here. Now I do have a question about an ACC prospect from a listener that was brought to me over the weekend. But before we do, Joe, I want to ask you, did you see the exchange between Jared Goff and Halle Berry on Twitter last night? Uh, you know, as we're recording this podcast, <laughs> I've seen it come across and I've, I've wanted to listen to it. Uh, but we're recording, Kyle, so I haven't. All right. So apparently it was some kind of audible or something like that, that they they checked to Halle Berry. Okay. So Halle Berry <laughs> on Twitter quote tweets the video and ats Jared Goff and the Rams and said, hold up, what is a Halle Berry? And Jared Goff quote tweets it back. This is all last night. It says, it's my favorite play ever. And then Todd Gurley and Andrew Whitworth start going in on him in the replies to this, this suck up, blatant suck up to Halle Berry. I just thought that was because, you know, Twitter Jared is a gift. Jared gets this kind of he gets like pegged into this box as like a laid back, like Cali dude, not a lot of personality. Right. I seem to remember that being a concern with him as far as his personality was, you know, is he a quote unquote alpha male? Right. Right, right. He seems like I I would get along great with Jared Goff. He's got like a low-key, funny personality to him. Seems like it. Um, You know, what matters most is that he's a really good football player. Yes, (laughs) he is. So there's that. (laughs) All right, so the question that I had received over the weekend was from Colin, a listener of the show. And uh, first of all, he wanted to blame us for dragging him down the NFL draft rabbit hole. So you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, that's what we do. (laughs) Um, His question is regarding Florida State's Brian Burns, guy that both of us really like, Joe. He says he he has trouble getting over the size. 6'5 is nice, and the flexibility and burst is good. 
But his question is, do you believe he will be able to put on weight? Will that affect his play? He's read your profile at the Draft Network, and he said it reminds him somewhat of a former Buffalo first-round pick and bust in Aaron Mabin. So he wanted to know what our thoughts were regarding weight and functional strength and if he needs to add weight and just kind of talk through how that evaluation process would work for a player like Brian Burns and what we're looking for, Joe. Um, yeah, he's really weird, right? Cause he's, let's be honest. Like we've heard some, some people close to Florida state tell us that he's 225, 230. Right. Heard others say he's 240. Uh, let's call him somewhere in the two thirties, right? Um, Aaron Maben at the NFL combine was six four two forty nine, and he, he really bulked up a ton and he had that really coveted first step that, you know, made him so exciting. Todd McShay had Aaron Maben number one on his board. Uh, so yeah, there's that. Um, but man, the thing about what's different about Burns specifically with Maben is you didn't, you don't see Burns getting rocked out of his gap and blasted out of his gap all the time. And you did see that with Maben. there was legitimate play strength concerns. And so if I'm trying to find a, a reason to believe in Burns, because I, I do think there is something to be said. There's not a long list or really anyone on a list of NFL productive pass rushers that are, you know, sub 240 to sub 245. Like they're all 250 plus. And so I, I do think it matters. And he would be an outlier if he were to find success at that weight. Um, but first of all, I think his functional play strength is much better than what we saw from Aaron Maben. And he's, got really good flexibility he's got really good footwork and he's got really good hand technique and he works uses it all together to beat dudes left and right and so i get excited about those traits and how they translate to the nfl level and so uh i I think i addressed a lot of what you were going to address but i wanted to kind of when i saw this come through the queue here and we were going to get into this one thing that i wanted to kind of flip back to you kyle on this specific conversation is talking about jason taylor because Jason Taylor's the poster boy for like the undersized pass rusher. And I know he's a player that you're obviously very familiar with. So I'm right. anxious to hear your, your thoughts on this. All right. So Jason, Jason was like, as you said, the ultimate outlier for being long and wiry. And he was tough as hell though. That was really the differentiating factor with, with Jason was he understood body positioning and he was so slippery in space that he put so many blockers on their heels trying to anticipate that slip of the block and you see some of that from Brian Burns and I would say this looking at Brian Burns specifically I don't know how much weight I want him to add because if you ask a player to add weight you're changing his physical dynamics and you run the risk of taking away what his strengths are, which is flexibility, first step explosiveness. Those are things that are his calling cards. So I think you, if you're going to target a Brian Burns, you need to be okay with that. You need to be okay with the functional strength where he's playing at on film right now, which I am. I'm not putting Brian Burns' hand in the dirt and asking him to play uh, 5-I and and try and bump with offensive tackles in the B-gap. I would never do it. That's a Solomon Thomas type role, right? Brian Burns needs to work wide angles, 
you need to be receptive to potentially working him into an Anthony Barr type role at times and playing off the ball and just being the backside defender way out in space mm-hmm. that can overflow in pursuit of the football. But Anthony Barr, his his progression as a player has kind of trended away from being a primary pass rusher, right? Because they have Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin there in Minnesota. But when Barr first came into Minnesota, he was featured more as a pass rusher. And I think a role like that would be an attractive fit for a Brian Burns because you're putting him in space and maximizing that mobility and flexibility and first step explosiveness and that ability to slip past that blocker, which to get back to your question on Jason Taylor, Jason beat a lot of guys by getting around them, not necessarily stacking them up. So if you Mm -hmm. know the kind of player that you have, you need to play to those strengths if you want him to be one of the centerpieces of your defense. And I think that's what the Miami Dolphins for, for so long in the early 2000s were able to do with Jason Taylor was except this isn't a guy that's going to lock horns with guys. This is a guy that's got to play off of contact and get into pursuit of the football. I think Brian Burns is more of that type of player than if you wanted to put a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. So fit and utilization is going to really factor in big with Burns. But I mean, look at a guy like Leonard Floyd as well, who's man, he's, he's battled his share of injuries, but yeah. he's found some production when he's been in, but he's a guy that was six six two forty four at the combine 33 and an eighth inch arm. So uh, I think it's, I think, I don't think you can ignore it. Um, but I, I think we both kind of agree that there's some translatable things here and there's some ways that he can be used that can maximize what can be a very dynamic NFL football player. Right. I agree. So we got one more thing to dig into on today's show. We got to talk about the emergence of Eric Ebron. And Ebron had some okay seasons in Detroit, Joe, but he's migrated to Indianapolis. And did I hear you correctly in the pre-show tell me he has 10 touchdowns already? Double digits, my man. He's in 10. Got 10 of them this year. So this is interesting because when Eric Ebron was coming out, he was touted as this super tight end prospect. And then he went through the draft process and there were some more questions and he ends up getting drafted high anyway because of the receiving ability. Is tight end like one of those positions I have my own opinion on this, but I, I would like to give you the floor first. Is tight in a position that we need to li- be a little bit more lenient as far as that transition to the pro level and not so quick to write people off? Oh, that's tough because when Ebron came in, you know, it was right like in the peak of like the Jimmy Grams and Antonio Gates and like you were thinking about having a guy like that and how much of an X factor they could be. And Eric Ebron just kind of profiled to that type of player. And I don't know, man, like I I don't, is, do you think it's hard to translate because we're going to get into this a lot in the coming months with, with this rising tight end class. If, if all these guys come out, like we're going to have tight ends on top of tight ends. Um, But then you're seeing it with some of the guys this year with, you know, Mike Gusecki's having some challenges acclimating. Uh, So yeah, I, I think it's. I think it can happen. I think they can come in and make a, a dynamic impact. But like, I do think that there is an acclimation period. But it's different for everybody, and in in the the situation matters a lot too. 
I think with Ebron, right? Like 6'4", 250, somewhere in that ballpark. Ran a superb 40 time. But he was not a good blocker. Like, right. He was a terrible blocker. And then he had some drops issues. So he comes in as a high high draft selection for the Colts or for the Lions. And his rookie season in 2014, he's 21 years old. He has 25 catches for 248 yards and a touchdown, one touchdown. Then his next year, 537 yards, five touchdowns. Okay, this is great. By the time he's in his third year in the pros, he's 23 years old. 61 receptions, 711 yards, one touchdown. So now, fast forward to being 25. 25 is still really young, right? Like maybe not as far as like your NFL shelf life. But I just think with the climate of college football and spread offenses, you have to be a really special receiving prospect to come in to the NFL without having experience putting your hand in the dirt and then being able to find success with how you run your routes and staying on the field with high frequency. And I think Ebron's just a really good case study of like, there's a, there's a significant change in the way NFL teams are going to use you because like I said, you have to be an elite receiving prospect if they're just going to bring you in and run you from the slot. Well, and, and it's, it's interesting because what's confusing me about Ebron is that Meanwhile, while Ebron's having kind of modest production, Stafford's like ripping off 5,000-yard passing seasons. Right. So it's not like he just had a bad quarterback. It's not like he was playing for the Bills, and then all of a sudden he went to a team with a quarterback, and he, you know, it's like, oh, well, that was the problem. Uh, I, I think there's some factors here. I think Andrew Luck's awesome. Like, he's a, he's a, a top-tier NFL quarterback. Welcome back. Good to have you. And he's paired with an elite play caller in Frank Reich. And so this trio, this combination of of – play caller quarterback tight end is is really conducive to the production and utilization that's really bringing out the best in Ebron and, and of, of course to your point that he's matured as a player and 25 years old still young and I mean he could still he's, he's primed to have a, a great career and so you know I think with not only with like just players sometimes teams lose, lose their patience and, and players acclimate and develop differently but like it, it's I think it's just hard for for consumers fans to to sit back and and like wanting them to be good right now and it takes time right and so don't be frustrated like there's these guys with high ceilings like give them a chance because i bet you the lions would love to have eric ebron or maybe this is what eric ebron needed to maximize you know his potential so there's so many unknowns to it but i think it's awesome to see him kind of emerging being super productive and and really excited about this colts team and where it's headed so agreed yeah so joe i want i want you to do me a favor I want you to pull okay. up the NFL standings real quick. Oh, boy. Yeah, we didn't talk about this, but I'm going to put you through it anyway. This is your thing that you always do here. Yeah, Only recently putting you on yeah. the spot. Do you um, have the standings up? Uh, I uh, Basically, yes. Okay, so I want you to look, take a quick browse through the standings. We're through week, what is this, week 10 we're through? Yep. And uh, I want you to tell me who the next NFL coach is that's going to get himself fired. No, Todd Bowles. <laughs> Jeez, man. You think, do you yeah. think it's coming this week? Do you think it's coming? Yeah. Like if, if people well, are listening they, on Monday afternoon, is it done? Uh, 
Well, I mean, they just lost 41 to 10 at home to the NFL's worst offense in history with its fourth quarterback in 10 weeks. Uh, I would say there's a pretty good case for him to be canned. Um, what if I told you the Cardinals have scored less points this season than the Bills have? I think that you would be uh, complimenting a point that I've been trying to make is that the Bills have an awful offense, but they're not the worst team in football. <laughs> you think, man, you Card- think Steve Wilkes has got te- had a 10-week shelf life? They no, hired I'm him not, for I'm 10 not, weeks? Not, no, no, no. I'm not saying that they're next. I'm just, I just heard you say the Bills have the worst offense in the history of football, and I'm sitting here looking at it, and all of a sudden the Cardinals have 13 less points scored than the Bills do. Well, when you hang up 41, it, it, things can change. Yeah, it changes and, things, and, right? and Well, yeah, and Arizona's played nine games. Buffalo's played 10, so that matters yeah, too. Yeah, it's a minor detail. <laughs> minor detail. I don't know. Is, do you think anyone else pops? I mean, is Jason Garrett? We're, we're doing this in the middle of uh, Sunday Night Football, and, well, uh, suddenly Dallas is winning 20-13. to 13. At Last time I looked, it was 13-3. to three. Uh, So, I mean, I'm looking at I don't Tampa know. Bay, too. Tampa Bay had twice as they had 29 first downs to 15 first downs for Washington. They had 500 yards of total offense versus 286 for the Washington Redskins, and they scored three points. You think like mid box mid season? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's definitely it's he's bad, definitely in man. the conversation. Yeah, he's and in the conversation. How about John Harbaugh being talked about as not coming back? Like that won't happen mid season, but the Ravens have been doing this thing where they give Harbaugh like these one year contracts. And it sounds like, I think it was, was it Jason lock in for? Yeah. I mean, so with what the track record is there, I suppose take it as a grain of salt, but at the same time, there's some reports that are asserting that Harbaugh and the Ravens will be going their separate ways after this season. One losing season in 10 years. Unbelievable. He's at the I top would, of everyone's list, brother. I was, <laughs> was going to say, you tell me what organ you want me to sell on the black market to get John Harbaugh <laughs> to come coach the Miami Dolphins. So that would be something. Um, if if that were to happen, if you're looking at the five first-round rookie quarterbacks, they, we'd have, is it two offensive coordinators fired already, right? Or is yes. it three? It's two. It's two. And then your, your destiny for Todd Bowles to be fired uh, and then Harbaugh. So four of the five would have their head coach and essentially offensive coordinator replace after during or yes. after year one. Yes. So Josh Allen sitting there with Dable and McDermott, the only one that's going to survive. Wild man, that's yeah. wild to me. No, in the past you've seen all these teams hire their offensive court. You've seen it with Ben McAdoo and Dirk Cutter, right? They yep. they had the good good Just season with up. their court. Yep. Higher up now. <laughs> Just getting rid of these guys eight weeks it. in. Yep. Jeez, man, it's different. It's a cutthroat league. Well, this uh, least... this Tuesday's takes on takes is cutthroat as well, Joe. Yep. We like to get after the people, but we love your hot takes. So if you have some for us, make sure you reach out on Twitter at the Joe Marino and at Grinding the Tape with the hashtag please takes on takes so we can track down your takes and air our grievances with them live on the show. So that is Tuesday. We have uh, the Locked On Boys coming on on Friday, John and Trevor for Super Show. Actually, Trevor, John's on vacation, isn't he? We might have yeah, shuff, shuffle the deck. Maybe Solak. Yeah, we're going to have to drag, drag somebody else's butt in here. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and rub elbows with them. But uh, we're, we're going to have more than just the two of us on Friday. So we got a good slate coming up. Make sure you don't miss it. 
please hit subscribe. Swing over to the Draft Network. Joe, thank you for not talking about my mock draft dropping live today on the on the show. Oh, it, people so, know. So, yeah, they know. I now. peeped it. I peeped it. And unless you've changed something, we're friends still. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> as much as Bill's Mafia wants to hate me and put me through no. tables. And as much as you want, the, you poke them and want them to, to say these things. It's every, a two-way, two-way every thing. Every good story has a bad guy. Yeah. yeah. I'm okay with being that guy. Not to the mafia, Kyle. Be good to the mafia. The mafia is good to us. The the mafia has threatened to put me through tables this weekend. So, me and the mafia have some some sorting out to do. Maybe we'll do that later this week on the show as well. I'm Kyle Krabs with Joe Mario. Thanks as always for listening to Draft Dudes podcast. We'll catch up with you guys tomorrow for takes on takes. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.